Research suggests, and so does God. Last night, I called and gave special prayer for those who had crises in their lives that day, crises unresolved. Are those people here tonight? Stand up, stand up, stand up. Anyone else here tonight? You responded to that special call. Anyone else? Stand up. Any changes yet? Not yet? All right, we'll keep praying. Any changes yet? A little bit? Okay. Little at a time, we'll keep praying. Anyone else? There were several who stood. And I'll keep checking to see what God is doing. God wants to resolve crises in our lives. Sometimes He allows them to, to remain for a while to test the faith, but His desire is to demonstrate His power in the battles that we face from day to day. Genesis chapter 2, reading from verse 16. One of my favorite passages. Genesis 2, reading verse 16. The Bible says, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. You notice I am stressing a certain word. What word is that? Thou. In modern versions, you miss a message in that verse, which you get from this ancient version. Simply because in Old English or Elizabethan English, the word for you, in modern English, the word for you is the same whether it's singular or plural. So if I were to say, I am happy to see you, in modern English, the word is Y-O-U. All of you, plural. If only one of you showed up for the meeting, and by the way, I would preach just as hard if that happened. If one of you showed up, I would say, I am happy to see you. It's the same word, Y-O-U. So if you look at the English word, that pronoun, Y-O-U, unless it is surrounded by a context, you do not know if it is singular or if it is plural. In Old English, as this version is written, singular you is thou. Plural you is ye. Are you following me? So if this were 300 years ago, I would say, uh, ye are welcome. If one of you came, thou art welcome. And so the Bible says, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden, thou mayest freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. God was talking to one person. It is an individual, one person talk, uh, listening to God. One person has individual responsibility and accountability for what God has said. Now, yes, we know Adam clearly informed Eve of what God had said. But when God spoke, Adam alone stood before him. Thou, thou, thou thou let's go to chapter 3 research suggests so does God reading from verse 1 Genesis chapter 3 reading from verse 1 the Bible says now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made and he said unto the woman "Yea, hath God said ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden and the woman said unto the serpent we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, ye, sh we shall not, ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. Now, the serpent uses the plural pronoun. And I don't want to make more of it 
than it is, but I want to point something out to you. Now, when God came down to examine the catastrophe that occurred, listen to verse 9, Genesis 3. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? Individual. And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldst not eat? Now thee is singular. It is just the objective form of thou. That's all. So God is singular. Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldst not eat? He is dealing with Adam as an individual. When God goes to the woman, verse 13, he says, What is this that thou hast done? He speaks to her and he requires individual accountability. The woman puts the blame on the serpent. God turns to the serpent, verse 14. Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle and above all the beasts of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go and thus shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between her seed and thy seed, it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Listen to what God tells the woman. I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow shalt thou bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. Singular pronouns. One individual accountability. Listen to God speaking to Adam. Verse 17, And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree, of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it, cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth unto thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return unto the ground. For out of it wast thou taken, for thus thou art, and unto thus shalt thou return. Individual accountability. When the devil speaks, he lumps them all together. And Eve goes right along says the same thing. I want to stress something here tonight. When you have decisions to make for God, don't turn around to see who's making a decision. Because in the judgment, you face God by yourself. Are you listening to me? You cannot take your grandfather whose tradition you're following. With all respects and blessings on your grandfather. You cannot take your friends whose example you're following on the basis of peer pressure, whether the pressure is from the young or from the old, because all people suffer from peer pressure, young and old. It is you and God. And if you tell God, well, my grandfather did this, God says, no, I want to know what you did. I'll get to your grandfather. I am talking to you. Individual. But so many times, the decisions we make for Christ are based on what other people do. Particularly on the point which I desire to elaborate tonight. And the point I'm discussing tonight is this business of the Sabbath day. In my experience as a preacher, let me tell you what I've observed. 
I can preach anything, anything at all. And no one gets upset. No one walks out. Except when I preach two things. Two. Almost invariably, when I preach one of these two subjects or both, someone gets up and walks out. It's as if there is a universal opposition of intergalactic hatred for these two subjects. One is this issue of the Sabbath, and two, when people die, are they really dead? And I tell no lie, the good Lord is hearing me. When those two subjects are discussed, people get angry, they get up and they leave, and I am not sure I understand why. I have offered money. I mean cash. For people to show me why they do what they do from Scripture, I have never had anyone collect the money. Never. Which then leads me to ask the question, and this may be more an unburdening than a sermon. There is something more that people need than truth. It's not enough for many people that something is true. It is just not enough. Now Jesus told the scribes and Pharisees in John chapter 8 verse 37, I know ye Abraham's seed, but ye seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. We have to be sure that God's word has a place in us. The Bible says if we don't love the truth, we will perish. Now, when a man or a woman has a heart that loves the truth, anything that is true from this book, they accept. Because the heart loves the truth. But you cannot have a heart that selectively loves the truth. That which I like, that which does not ripple my life, that which does not distance me from my friends, that truth I'll accept. But the truth that causes me to stand alone, I will not accept that. Jesus says, I want people with a heart for truth. All truth. I was in East Africa last fall, as I have been for the past five years. And I offered myself and local pastor, two million shillings, Uganda. Anyone to show us, bring up one verse from the Bible, one, just one, that says the first day of the week is holy, just one, two million shillings. No one came. I begged them, I wanted to give the money away, no one came. The same offers have been made right here in the United States. Not just by me, by evangelists over the decades. No one has ever collected the money. Someone has to ask the question, why? Let's look at some verses in the Bible on which people base their decision to observe the first day of the week. Remember the subject is research suggests and so does God. 
And I picked that subject because, as I told you this earlier this afternoon, when I read research papers just to see what people are developing and doing, I was struck by how often the, the, the researcher says the evidence suggests. It suggests. It indicates. The, the data indicate. The, the, the results suggest. They point to. But there's very seldom a categorical statement. Research declares. Research pontificates. It never seems to do that. It always suggests. And there's nothing wrong with suggestion. There's a place for evidence. Even in a courtroom, the weight of evidence is against the defendant. Even faith is based on evidence, not proof. So there's a place for evidence and for suggestion. Now, God has a suggestion for us. On this campus where research is done and people understand the word suggest, God is saying, what does my, what do my data suggest? Here's Sunday. Here's a seventh day Sabbath. As you look at the evidence, what is suggested by the evidence? Look at the, let's look at the verses that mention first day of the week. Matthew 28, reading from verse 1. As we continue, research suggests, so does God, it's now 7.29 and 25 seconds. The Bible says, in the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. In the end of the Sabbath, the Sabbath of the Lord, which was uh, inaugurated at creation week, that Sabbath was passed when the first day of the week came. In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. Nothing in that verse tells you or me the first day of the week is a holy day. Text number 2, Mark chapter 16. Reading from verse 1. We'll read verses 1 and 2. As we continue, research suggests, so does God. And when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome had bought sweet spices that they might come and anoint him. And very early in the morning, the first day of the week, they came onto the sepulcher at the rising of the sun. The, the sense of those two verses is precisely that which is expressed in Matthew chapter 28 verse 1. Those women wanted to anoint the body of Christ late Friday evening. The Sabbath was just about to come. They decided not to do it. They kept the Sabbath. When the Sabbath was done, at the moment it was over, they ran to the sepulcher to anoint Christ. The Sabbath was passed. Let's stay in Mark chapter 16. We just read verses 1 and 2. Let's go to verse 9 of Mark. The Bible says, Now when Jesus was risen early the first day of the week, He appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom He had cast seven devils. Again, all that verse says is, after the Sabbath was passed, on the first day of the week, the ladies came. First one there being Mary Magdalene. Let's look at text number 4. John chapter 20, verse 1. John chapter 20, verse 1. The Bible says, The first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early, when it was yet dark, unto the sepulchre, and seeth the stone taken away from the sepulchre. Same thing as in, Luke, as in Mark chapter 16, verse 9. Same sense. Slightly different wording. Let's look at verse number 6. Same chapter, John 20, verse 19. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, 
came Jesus and stood in the midst and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. The first day of the week, they were behind closed doors. Why? They were scared that the Jews who crucified Christ would crucify them, so they were hiding. Not conducting a service that has singing and other evidences of someone's presence behind a locked door. Hiding. Six verses. Not one says the first day of the week is a holy day. Let's go to verse number 7, Acts chapter 20, reading verse 7 as we continue, research suggests and so does God. 7.32, we have 28 more minutes. Acts chapter 20, I said, verse 7. The Bible says, do you have Acts 20 verse 7? And upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them. All it says is that they came together to break bread. Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow, and continued his preach until midnight. Now, if some, many people use that verse to say, see, they came together to break bread on the first day, it was the Sabbath. No, let's go to chapter 2, verse 46. Acts chapter 2, verse 46. While you find that passage, let me suggest something to you right now. There's someone listening to me who's angry. Not because you don't like my water or my soup. You don't like what I'm saying. But am I trying my best to quote what the Bible says? I'm trying to make sure that you don't hate what I say. It's not what I say. It's really not what I say. What I say is really unimportant. It is what God's Word says. Nothing to do with me. I didn't write this. I didn't write Matthew 28, 1, Mark 16, 2, Mark 16, 9, Luke 24, 1, John 21, nor John 20, 19, nor did I write Acts chapter 20, verse 7. Now, some Bibles have little notes at the bottom. You see, mine has some notes here at the bottom. Watch them very carefully. You may be better off with a Bible that has no notes at the bottom. The notes at the bottom, there is someone's opinion. Get a Bible of just God's Word, God's opinion, and pray. Seek the guidance of the Holy Spirit. You'll be just fine. Here's what this man says in his notes at the bottom of the Bible. Notes referring to Acts 20 verse 7. This is the clearest evidence, he says, that the disciples assembled on Sunday. Meaning that Sunday was the day of worship for the disciples. If this is the clearest evidence he has, one verse... I want to show you some evidence God has. Let's go to Acts chapter 13. We'll read verse 14. Acts 13 verse 14. And Acts talks about the experiences of the early church. And if you read Acts carefully, you'll find that Acts moves from Jerusalem to Rome. And the leading figure in the book of Acts is whom? Close? Well, I shouldn't say close. Good, good suggestion. Who's the leading figure in the, in the book of Acts? Well, the Holy Spirit. Read Acts again. The Holy Spirit directs the work from beginning to end. Someone said, if you want to find out about Jesus, read the Old Testament. You want to find out about God the Father, read the Gospels. You want to find out about the Holy Spirit, read the epistles, particularly the book of Acts. Acts 13 verse 14. But when they departed from Perga, 
they came to Antioch in Pisidia and they went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and sat down. Paul and his traveling companions in Antioch. And they sat down and they were invited to preach, verse 15. And from 16 to 41, Paul preaches one of his customary long sermons. And in verse 42, so we have Paul in the, in the search on Sabbath in verse 14 of Acts 13. Now in verse 42, the Bible says, And when the Jews were gone out of the synagogue, the Gentiles besought that these words be spoken, be preached to them the next Sabbath. And verse 44 says, And the next Sabbath came almost the whole city together to hear the word of God. So we have Paul there one Sabbath, then he's there another Sabbath. That's at least two Sabbaths. We have Paul worshiping. Let's go to chapter 16. The book of Acts, we continue. Research suggests, and so does God. Oh, I didn't finish Acts 2.46. Let's go back to Acts 2.46. Bless you, bless you, bless you. That's Dr. Jason Shives, one of the energetic organizers of this movement. When we read in Acts 20, verse 7, and upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, I told you people use that as reason to regard the first day of the week as a day of worship. No, in Acts 2.46, the Bible says, and continue, they're continuing daily with one accord in the temple. Continuing daily in the temple with one accord. And breaking bread from house to house, they'd eat their bread with gladness and singleness of heart. Every day in those early years of the church, they were breaking bread together. So Acts 20 verse 7 is just an example. If you're breaking bread every day, at some point you'll break bread on Sunday. But that is no justification to call Sunday the Sabbath because it is not. Now let's go back to Acts 16. Verse 13. We saw in chapter 13 verses 14 and verses 42 and 44 that Paul spent two Sabbaths when he came there to Antioch. At least two in that chapter. Now Acts 16 verse 13. They are in Philippi. The Bible says, And on the Sabbath we went out of the city by a riverside where prayer was wont to be made. And we sat down and spake unto the women which resorted thither. Now what is, what is meant by prayer was wont to be made? It was the custom of that group to assemble by the river on Sabbath to pray and worship. How many times? We don't know. But let's be generous in our research. Let's be careful. But let's just call it one occasion. So we have two in Acts 13. We have one in Acts 16. Let's go to Acts 17, reading from verse 1. Acts 17, reading from verse 1. Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where was a synagogue of the Jews, verse 2, and Paul, as his manner was went in unto them and three sabbath days reasoned with them out of the scriptures now we have three two in acts 13 one in Acts 16 we have three in acts 17 that's six times but according to this footnote that i read this man uses one one incident and said that's the clearest evidence that the early believers assembled on the first day for worship we have six so far we have hundreds more to go Paul went in, reasoned with them, three Sabbath days. Now the verse says, as his manner was, meaning that was his custom. Now if you read Acts 20, you'll find that Paul is going to Jerusalem. The elders tell him, well, don't go, they'll kill you. Paul says, I don't mind. Paul is willing to die for what he believes. When a man is willing to die for what he believes, he does not change it. 
Let's go to Acts 18, reading from verse 1. After these things, Paul departed from Athens and came to Corinth. Now skip right to verse 4. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded the Jews and who else? The Greeks. Now, we have two occasions in Acts 13. We have one in Acts 16. We have three in Acts 17. Now, we have every Sabbath in Acts 18 verse 4. How many Sabbaths is every Sabbath? Look at verse 11. Verse 11. And he continued there, how long? A year and six months, preaching the word or teaching the word among them. He continued a year and six months. Now, how many Sabbaths are there in a year and six months? 78. We have a, mathemat a mathematical genius, Brother Zoltan, 78. How many did he have before the 78? We had six. How many is that? 84. This man in his footnote has one. And he says that's the clearest evidence that the early believers worshipped on Sunday. Clearest. He has one. I have 84. Let's go to Acts 20. As we continue, research suggests and so does God. And I want you to begin to formulate in your mind what is the research suggesting. Acts 20, reading from verse 25. And now, behold, I know that ye all among whom I have gone preaching the, the kingdom of God shall see my face no more. Wherefore, I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men. For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the flock of God or the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. And also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples unto them. Therefore watch and remember, verse 31, Therefore watch and remember that by the space of how long? Three years I cease not to warn you night and day with tears. Now Paul was in Ephesus three years. Every day he preached. How many Sabbaths is that? Hmm? A hundred and what? 156. You add up all of that, we come up with about 240. I think we should have a graphic up there somewhere which says 240. Do we have it? I can't see. <laughs> it should come up there sometime. 240. But this man says the clearest evidence is Acts 27. So we have 240 on one side. We have one reference, reference on the other side. 240 and 1. Now, just let us now do some statistical reasoning. Without studying the Greek, the Hebrew, the Aramaic, the Akkadian, or anything else. If someone conducted 241 experiments to develop a cure for cancer and it worked 240 times and didn't work once and you had cancer would you try it yes yes 
If you had a 240 to 1 chance to win the lottery and you did that sort of thing, would you play it? Mm-hmm. Oh yes, you would. You would be considered mad if you didn't. 240 to 1? You don't get those odds every day. But this is what the Bible is telling us. This man has one verse, Acts 27, and he says this is the clearest evidence. If one verse is clear evidence, what do you call 240 occurrences of Sabbath observance in the book of Acts? Earlier today, you told me you were honest. Are you still honest? Maybe have a different gathering. The honest people didn't come. Well, let me ask you, are you honest, yes or no? Are you reasonable, yes or no? Are you fair-minded, yes or no? Are you good-looking, yes or no? <laughs> well, I asked them that earlier today. I had to ask you, and my, I agree, yes, you are. But I'm more concerned with your honesty, your fair-mindedness, and your degree of reasonableness. You notice in Acts chapter 17, verse 2, the Bible says, And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them, and three Sabbath days, what did he do? He reasoned with them. Now what does reason with them mean? Paul was educated as you are. You reason with someone, you don't simply bring that which is only spiritual and metaphysical. You bring also that which is concrete, that which makes sense at the sensory level. You reason. You bring facts, you bring figures, you bring evidence, if you have them, you bring proofs, and you reason. And when a reasonable person sees the line of your reasoning, based on what the evidence suggests, if that person is honest, you see, you cannot be dishonest and be a scholar. Those two things don't go together. If a person is not honest, that person cannot be a scholar. Because scholarship presupposes truth. You go where the evidence leads. You don't design your instrument to come up with some, some result that pleases your sponsor. You go where the truth leads. Paul reasoned with them. Look at chapter 18, verse 19. And he came to Ephesus and left them there, but he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with them. He reasoned with the Jews. Turn two forty to one. Now, it is very obvious no one can argue against that statistic. You can, I can't, I don't desire to. But you know, it is not enough for some people. We must have a motivation besides truth. For many of us, truth is not a sufficient motivation. The only motivation that drives a person to obey Jesus Christ is the motivation of love. Do we love Jesus? If I were to say how many of you love Jesus or how many of us, every hand would go up unless someone had a fit and decided to be different. Every hand would go up. People love to declare themselves lovers of Christ. How does Jesus say we should show our love for him? The clearest verse is John, 15, John 14, verse 15. What does it say? Say it loudly. What does it say? 
If you love me, keep my commandments. Now, does Jesus ask us to do what he hasn't done? No, he doesn't. And so in John 15, 10, he said, If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I also kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Jesus is saying, I am just calling you to do what I did. The same man who went to that cross, nailed, bleeding, dying, suffering for you and for me. That through faith in his death and life, we may have the power to obey him. And to keep his Sabbath holy. The Bible reserves special blessings for those who keep God's Sabbath day. Let me say that again. The Bible has special blessings. I call them incentives. Modernize the word. For those who recognize and observe God's holy Sabbath day. Isaiah 58, reading from verse 13. If thou turn away thy foot from the Sabbath, from doing thy pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy of the Lord honorable, and shall honor it, not doing thine own ways, nor finding thine own pleasures, nor speaking thine own words, then shalt thou delight thyself in the Lord, and I will cause thee to ride upon the high places of the earth, and feed thee with the heritage of Jacob thy father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. God has said to those who recognize, respect, and observe my Sabbath, I will bless you to the point that I will lift you up. And in everything you do, I will make sure you rise. I will cause you to ride. It's an Old Testament expression. Upon the high places of the earth. Now notice verse 14 ends with these words, For the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. Why does the Bible say that? The mouth of the Lord. What does that sound like? An oath. God is saying, look, these words are coming from my mouth. And when I say something, you can take it where? To the bank. Do you love Jesus Christ? How much? You see, that's the problem. How much? How much do you love Him? I'll ask you a question, don't answer me. Do you love Christ enough to die for Him? Don't answer me. While you're pondering, let me tell you a story. I was in South Africa five years ago, four years ago. Five. I spoke at a church one Friday evening, one of the suburbs of Johannesburg. And I asked the same question. Who here loves Jesus enough to die for him tonight? Slightly different from what I asked you. No hands went up. Not one. That I saw. So, that's a good time to say the benediction and go off somewhere and reflect. Pray it service over. In the parking lot, shaking hands of these people who had no desire to die for Christ. And a little girl came to me, touched me on my thigh. 
She said, Pastor, can I talk to you? You know how we do little children. We said, just a minute, not now. Well, I'm talking to adults. She said, tap to me again. So I turned around, cute little girl, maybe 10 years old. She said, Pastor, I raised my hand, but you didn't see it. And she wanted me to know. She said, I raised my hand, but you did not. She said, Pastor, I will die for Jesus tonight. And my knees got weak. And I looked at this little girl, little angel. And I put my arm around her and I said, my little sister, I am glad you'll die for Jesus tonight. But until he tells you to do so, I want you to live for him. And do well in school. And go on to be the prime minister of South Africa. But I was so touched. She wanted me to know I had missed her hand. She was willing to die for Jesus that very night. Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength. I ask you again, how much do you love Jesus? I know you love him. The critical question is, how much? Well, let me ask you what I asked that congregation. Don't answer immediately. I'll tell you when to answer. How many of us would die for Christ tonight? Those of us who said we love him. You've had 15 seconds to think. Any hands? You have some? Are you serious? God bless you. I mean that. I'm not joking. God bless you. God bless you. Hands down. When a man or a woman is ready to die for Christ, the devil has lost. Because the devil's most effective weapon is, you see, when the, when, when the devil told God, uh, skin for skin, all that a man hath will he give in exchange for his, his flesh and his, his bones. He was right. We won't go to certain parts of the city to give out tracts because it's too dangerous. I don't want to be hurt. We won't give Bible study to certain people. They look too rough. I don't want to be hurt. Now, I'm not saying a Christian should be rash and impetuous. We must be wise as serpents, harmless as doves. But our lives cannot be our first concern. Now, I'm not talking, it's not a sermon on life. It's a sermon on research suggests so does God, God's holy Sabbath day. How much do we love Him? In other words, do I love God enough to observe the day He wants me to observe? That's my question. I don't doubt you love Jesus. You look like you love Him. But do you love Him enough at five minutes to eight to keep His Sabbath at least once, this one coming? You can do that. You can come to church for one Sabbath. And I want you to do that. Jesus and I are inviting you. You want to turn me down? That's fine. Don't turn Jesus down. Jesus and I invite you to church this Sabbath. Is there anyone here who has never attended church on a Sabbath? Raise your hand. You've never attended church on a Sabbath. Raise your hand. 
All right. Is there someone here who used to attend and then stopped? Raise your hand. God bless you for your honesty. I appreciate that. I really do. Christ has missed you on his day. Can I have five more minutes? That's all. Just five. Is that okay? Just five. Thank you. Five after eight, we're done. It's four minutes to eight now. Nine minutes. Christ has missed you. He really has. I would love to see all of you at church this coming Sabbath morning. On God's holy day, which begins sunset on Friday evening and ends on sunset on Saturday evening. From even unto even shall he celebrate my Sabbath, Leviticus 23, 32. At even when the sun was set, Mark 1, 32. Even is sunset from sunset to sunset. That's when the Sabbath begins. The Bible says a day begins at sunset. So this is really what night? Friday night. God, Jesus, the Spirit, and I, I invite all of you, come to church this Sabbath in obedience to God and see what God does for you. God blesses obedience. It is the highest expression of love. I hope my expert engineer will put that graphic back up. 240 and 1. God's number is 240. 240 evidential events in the book of Acts for the observance of the Sabbath, only one for the first day of the week. What kind of person makes a decision and goes against 240? I believe in your heart is a desire to do what's right. I believe in your heart is a desire to be right with God. I believe in your heart is a desire to receive the blessings God gives only to those who obey Him. Preached a sermon last week somewhere in one of these churches. There are blessings that God gives to everyone. Matthew 5, verse 44 and 45. When he said, love your enemies, bless them that curse you. For he maketh his son to rise on whom? The evil and the good. And sendeth rain on whom? The just and the unjust. There are some blessings everyone gets from God. Those are general. They're not particularly special in the sense that you are different from someone else. But then the blessings God only gives to those who obey Him. Sabbath obedience brings financial blessings. Physiological blessings. Family blessings. Psychological blessings. And above all, spiritual rest even if that statistic weren't there 240 to 1 Jesus said the road that leads to heaven how many people follow that road few that's another statistic the road to hell how many people follow that road many now here we have many here we have few from the lips of Jesus. That alone is a context in which to view the argument, if most people do it, it must be right. Because it isn't. Because Jesus is clear, most people are going to be lost. But I don't believe he included you. So you cannot judge the rightness of an act by the number of people who do it. You judge it by what God's word says. 
So that if you alone in this universe observe the Sabbath day, you are right based on God's word. The question is, do we have the spiritual guts to be right and stand up regardless of what people say? When God came down, he said, Adam, stand up. Any man or woman who will say with me tonight, Lord, give me the courage to do what's right, no matter what other people do, stand up. Call number two. If there's someone here who has been making wrong choices because of the pressure of your group. Whether your group are 80-year-olds, 60, 50, 40, 10, 16, makes no difference. Is there anyone here, if you know you've been making wrong choices because of the pressure of your group, and you want to say, Lord, give me special strength tonight to stand up and do what's right, you raise your hand. Only if it fits you. Come quickly, we still have time. Come right here, let me pray for you. Come. We have four minutes, we'll be done. Come, come right here. Let me pray for you. God bless you for coming. God loves honesty. He loves honesty. And there are many of us, we do what we do. It's wrong simply because other people do it. We need guts to do what's right. We need it. We need it. God bless you. God bless you. Whether it's on the Sabbath or any other issue, we need spiritual courage and moral strength to do what's right, no matter what other people do. Every head bowed. Every eye closed. Lord in heaven, your sons and your daughters have demonstrated courage publicly. They have come to confess something, Lord, that bothers so many of us. We follow the crowd to fit in. Even if fitting in means fitting into an environment of disobedience to God. Our desire to belong is so great. Lord, I'm asking you now to give us the strength and the wisdom to see that the best place to belong is to belong with God. And to fit in with God. And we fit in with God by simply doing what He says. And what He says, Father, is for our good. Lord, I'm asking you in the name of Jesus, if you love those who moved for this special appeal, give them some strength now. That they may decide, Father, by your grace, I will resist the force of the group and do what's right. For in doing what's right, I may change the group. So that we become people who save others rather than are destroyed by others. I plead in the name of Jesus, give my brothers and my sisters the spiritual courage to do what's right. And to resist the pressure of the group. Father, bless all of us. We have our struggles. We hide them. We know how to look good on the outside. But inside of so many of us are dead men's bones. Lord, in the name of Jesus, help us to understand that the smartest thing we can do is to confess we're not right and come running to your feet. Please, God, for Christ's sake, bless those who responded to this special appeal standing before you on this floor. And to all others standing back there, dear God, if you went so far, as to send your beloved son to suffer and die. If you can do that.
tonight you can give us some spiritual power to stand for what's right. Put into our hearts a love for the truth, I pray. Bring us back tomorrow to hear your word. I offer this prayer in Jesus' name and for his sake. Let all God's people say with me, Amen and Amen. God bless you. I mean it from my heart. God bless you. God bless you. Travel safely and come back tomorrow.